Guten Morgen. Wie geht's? Thanks for 105 or so. Totally insane. Take delusions. On display, new posts. Let's see what he's posting about now before he goes into fucking prison. Come on. Everybody call the Department of Justice 202 514 2000. Please hasten this. Get him behind bars. Another day and more deranged, grifty, weird posts by the Republican cult leader, Donald Trump. I can't even call it a political party anymore. It's just a cult. Here is their cult leader, and he just whines all day, goes on a social media platform and whines. Here he goes. Here's the new disinformation chant from the people destroying our country. It's Trump's fault. And you know, Donald Trump thinks yeah. nothing is his fault. He did everything right. That's his whole malignant narcissistic attitude. Blame him well, for everything. Maybe it is your fault. Maybe you did do a lot of things wrong. Maybe essentially everything you did hurt our nation yet you have this cult and you have large media networks and propaganda networks that want to normalize your behavior but every single thing you did our country weaker um humiliated us in the eyes of the world and degraded our national security and degraded what makes america a truly special place and you were trying to destroy it Here's uh, one of the other posts he makes. He goes, these morons in the White House. Is that who starts talking like that? Like, look, if, if this is why I say this isn't a political party, okay? You, you have to be just a decent human being. I know the media networks, I know they don't want to talk about decency. But, okay, in positions of leadership, I want people who are just decent, good people. Like, could you imagine... In any work situation, somebody, you know, starting an email or a correspondence saying, hey, you moron. No, you can't get a job anywhere else in America and behave like deranged maniacs other than in the Republican Party. Here's Donald Trump's post. These morons in the White House who are systematically destroying our country, headed up by the biggest moron of them all, Hopeless Joe Biden have a new disinformation game they are playing. Blame Trump for their grossly incompetent surrender in Afghanistan. I watched this disaster unfold just like everyone else. I saw them take out military first, give $85 billion of military equipment, allowing killing of our soldiers and leave Americans behind. Biden is responsible, no one else. How dare you, by the way? When you read something like this, this is what I mean. Like, how dare you? I mean, you are the person who cut a deal with the Taliban. You're the one who literally signed the surrender document. You released 5,000 Taliban prisoners. You had Mike Pompeo, like, put his arm around the head of the Taliban, you know, basically cheerleading for the Taliban, invited the Taliban to come to the United States of America. That was you who freed 5,000 of the Taliban prisoners, including their entire leadership or all of the prisoners you let free. And you didn't do it on the timeline recommended by the military. You didn't do it in coordination with the existing Afghan government. No, you just did it on your own. Hey, Pompeo, let the Taliban go. And who did that benefit more than anyone? Vladimir Putin, which is not a surprise. And so, yes, 
based on a deal that you cut after you releasing Taliban prisoners, I would say Biden handled the situation about as good as you can and actually brought our troops home. Unlike you, who are a complete and utter coward, you sign the documents, you release the terrorists, and then you go, oops, nothing I can do here, not my fault. The exact opposite of what leadership is, completely and utterly disgusting. He he goes on to write, and he talks about polls. Why is Fox News using fake news, CNN polls? Because they are fake, even though I'm leading by a lot, but not nearly as good as other polls. Leading Biden by nine points, leading Social Security, cutting de sanctimonious by 35 points. Back up. I mean, we, first off, lies. Like, what, what are you talking? Who talks like this? And then, and then he goes, we're getting lots of job requests from people currently working for the Social Security, Medicare cutting. Just watch the sanctimonious campaign. Ron's poll numbers are dropping so fast and furious that many people are speculating he's not even going to run. Just hired kiss of death Jeff Rowe, who dropped young Kim to see if he can help. He will only help make Ron poor. I'm leading in Texas by 42 points, Iowa and New Hampshire by a lot, overall by close to 40, and by 10 against scammer Joe Biden. Again, all the stuff against Biden is completely and utterly false. And I just like how like DeSantis just takes it. Um, Donald Trump goes, the good old USA is losing so much, so fast, that at the end of one and one half years remaining in the most incompetent administration in history, we may not even have a country left. There's an invasion at our border. We're about to lose our dollar as the world standard, and we could, because of stupid people, end up in World War III. The only things they do well is cheating on elections, disinformation campaigns, and weaponizing the justice system, all projection. By the way, everything he says, this whole entire thing is projection we are a nation in decline a failing nation and then here is his post where he is grifting and selling t-shirts of a fake mugshot where he claims he's six foot five where it says not guilty contribute um now is the time to prove just how much stronger we are than ever donate to donald trump now because let's face it folks it is all a grift it is all projection it is all the rantings and ravings of a maniac a complete and utter uh, malignant narcissist who should not be anywhere near power should not be anywhere near making decisions about uh you know our families and our health and our safety the fact that the republicans look at those posts go yeah that's the person who i want to lead us it's sickening should we compare let's compare that to that's what trump's been posting today What's Joe Biden posting? This is what Joe Biden's saying. While your new double oven is taking care of dinner and dessert, you're remembering how to tie a Windsor. For all of life's moments, get the brands you trust to get the job done at Wayfair. Wayfair, you got just what I need. Today's jobs report show that we continue to face economic challenges from a position of strength, with the economy adding 236,000 jobs last month and the unemployment rate at 3.5%. My economic agenda has powered a historic economic recovery. How about this post? Most Americans want lawmakers to act on common-sense gun safety reforms that will save lives. Instead, Republican officials across America double down on dangerous bills that make our school places of worship and communities less safe. 
our kids continue to pay the price. Or this one. A year ago today, we celebrated the Senate's historic confirmation of Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson, the first black woman to serve as the United States Supreme Court Justice. She has brought uncompromising integrity, a strong moral compass, and courage to the Supreme Court. Let's think about those words. Integrity, moral compass, courage. All of the things that Donald Trump lacks and all of the things we need, though, in leadership and decency and humanity. Uh, here's another post from uh, Joe Biden talking about our plan to invest in America is working. Here's what it looks like across the country. A record 12.4 million jobs, new jobs, including 800,000 manufacturing jobs since we came to office. That's more jobs created in two years than any president has created in four. Here he talks about trickle-down economics doesn't work. Um, here he goes on to say, and, and here's a video that he posts of himself. We'll play this video. He goes, I will not let MAGA Republicans undo the progress that we've made. Not under my watch. Here, let's play that video. Seems like our Republican friends want to cede clean energy future to China make us dependent on overseas supply chains, export jobs overseas, and weaken our energy security. The MAGA Republicans in Congress also want to cut the CHIPS and Science Act, stripping our investments for the next generation of science and technology, from biomanufacturing to quantum computing. Take away, get rid of it. That would mean ceding the future of innovation and technology to China. Well, I've got news for my MAGA Republican friends. Not on my watch. Not on my watch. And here, President Biden is saying Congress passed the assault weapons ban in the post. Play the clip. There's a moral price to pay for inaction. Last year, we came together to pass the most significant gun safety legislation in 30 years. It was bipartisan. We got it done. And don't tell me we can't do more together. So I again call on Congress to pass the assault weapons ban. Pass it. This should not be a partisan issue. It's a common sense issue. We have to act now. And finally, Biden said, we passed the most aggressive economic recovery since President Franklin D. Roosevelt and made the most substantial infrastructure investment since President Eisenhower's interstate highway system. The progress we've made creating strong, sustainable economic growth is real. You see the differences there? And by the way, to me, that's the type of difference that matters. That's the type of difference that I care about. Trump, capital letters, disinformation, more this moron, that moron, you know, and just all lies. It's, it's, it is shocking that a modern-day Republican Party follows that guy and has become a cult. Like, it, 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 is, it is shocking to me that they've so debased themselves. They've so... They've, de they've destroyed themselves for, 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 for a malignant, narcissistic cult leader. So strange. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 1.5 million subscribers. Help us get there. Check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Midas Touch. Also, uh, wherever you get your audio podcast, search Midas Touch Podcast, 
and uh, subscribe there for free. All right, hit subscribe on this YouTube channel. It is free. Until next time, I'm Ben Micellis. Lock him up. Indictment season is upon us. Celebrate with the new indictment season t-shirt and v-neck exclusively at store.midastouch.com. A house or a laptop? Which one do you think is worth more? Well, definitely not the house because it not only costs millions to buy, but you also have to pay thousands to maintain it every month. What if I told you that I've made over $80 million all from something called digital real estate on my laptop? And digital real estate costs nearly nothing to start and it creates real online assets that have the potential to generate income. And I'm surprised, frankly, that nobody else is talking about this right now. You don't want to right Hello, and welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. Today's pod is a candid conversation with Nick Carmody, psychotherapist, lawyer, and executive board member for the World Mental Health Coalition. Nick is a survivor of not one, but two traumatic brain injuries, which inspired him to go back to school to better understand the brain and how it affects our functioning, personality, and emotional processing. After getting his master's in psychology, he started to look at politics and how politics affects the personality of the country. If there is already political science, he believes we should have political psychology. I'm having him on today to discuss what's going on with the Republican Party from a psychological perspective and how the cult of personality has transformed the party into a tribe who are essentially devoted to Trump and Trumpism, no matter how much damage they do to themselves or to the country. Nick gives us insight into the human instinct behind Trumpism, which we're going to need as we go head to head with this group for the soul of the nation. And for those of you listening, I just want to apologize for my voice. I know I sound like a little but that's because I'm getting over COVID and this is the way it is. It might sound a bit wonky, but the context of the podcast will be incredibly clear. So without further ado, please welcome my guest, psychotherapist, lawyer, and executive board member for the World Mental Health Coalition, Nick Carmody. Welcome, Nick. Thank you, Lee. I appreciate being here. Well, thank you for joining me. I've been following your work for a while and you have such a unique way of looking at the country from a mental health perspective. As a psychotherapist and as a board member of the World Mental Health Coalition, who I believe their goal is to educate and empower the public and policymakers against dangerous political leadership, you must be having a professional field day with this rise of authoritarianism in America. I just recently joined in June. Um, it's Bandy Lee is the president of that. Uh, Ruth Bendiad is on, is on there, and uh, it was an honor just to be considered to be invited on that, let alone to be brought on. And so uh, I'm just kind of getting my feet wet with that. But uh, in addition to uh, trying to warn the world or the country about pathology and leadership, uh, one of the goals that we're trying to transition to is basically trying to heal the country. I mean, we've kind of already got that point where, the, you know, the warning is already understood. We see what's going on. Um, it's pretty self-evident. Uh, now, at this point, it's, well, you know, what do we do about it? You know, how, how do we fix this? How do we deal with the, the division, the antagonism? 
um, and uh, you know, hopefully the, uh, try to avoid uh, political violence because as we've seen the last couple of days with the FBI raid of Mar-a-Lago, um, the political, the, the, the violent rhetoric has really amped up. Yeah, no, it really has. I mean, the call for civil war is all over the place right now. It's bananas. It's people are just dying to use their guns. So let's talk about the most recent news. You know, the FBI and the Justice Department has a warrant to search Mar-a-Lago, and the right is absolutely losing their minds, right? That it's some deep state witch hunt when it's simply just democracy and justice in action. I believe you don't become the first FBI director, the first attorney general, and the first federal judge in our nation's history to grant a search and seizure warrant for the home of a former president unless you've seen rock-solid proof, right? So no matter what we hear the Republicans and the right-wing pundits saying on television, there is just absolutely no way these people went off half-cocked, right? Legal experts are being very clear. There is not a soul, not even the most liberal judge, and in this case it was a Trump-appointed judge, who would sign off on a search of a former private residence of uh, a president without absolutely solid proof that crimes had taken place or were taking place right now. So we have these Trump Republicans in complete denial, some refusing to believe there was an actual search, some thinking it's a witch hunt. The new one is that the FBI is there to plant evidence, right? But it's all about this deep state that's hell-bent on taking their savior down. The GOP judiciary tweeted that if they can do this to a former president, imagine what they can do to you. Dan Bongino was just on Fox News saying that this is some third world bullshit. They're out here talking about Hillary Clinton and Hunter Biden, who they very clearly want to lock up without any proof of a crime. They're threatening Merrick Garland um, with arrest and congressional subpoenas for doing his job. They're attacking the FBI itself as corrupt. They're asking to um, defund the FBI. And yet the head of the FBI is a Trump appointee and clearly not some left-wing zealot. The right-wing media and the far-right GOP are selling this like it is some kind of monstrous overstep when this is literally the perfect example of how justice is supposed to work in a democracy. So the projection here is astounding. But as we start to see the wheels of justice turning, you've been very clear that holding Trump accountable is it going to change the mind of most of his supporters, even if we see smoking gun evidence? So can you talk me through that psychologically? Let me see if I can back up. I mean, there was a lot there that you mentioned. I think, you know, first and foremost, we're in a really dangerous place uh, as, a, as a country where um, one political party thinks that every election that they lose is fixed and every investigation uh, against somebody in their tribe is a witch hunt or a hoax. And, uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a really dangerous place to be where we can't accept any outcome unless we win, and we don't accept any investigation unless it's happening to the other guy. Right. Um, and that's just impossible to, uh, to function. It, it may be impossible to survive as a country. Um, you know, another part of it, too, and, th and this is something that, you know, that, that just a, as a society in general is we know very little about this investigation. And unfortunately, you know, everybody rushes to, you know, it's, it's like the Dunning-Kruger effect where everybody rushes. The, more, the less we know about something, the more confident we feel about speaking about something authoritatively. We don't know a damn thing about this damn. I mean, we can we can speculate that because that, as, as you point, you laid it out. That's how the justice system works. So we can assume that that's happening. Um, but we, without even making assumptions, it, it's incredibly irresponsible and dangerous to, uh, without knowing anything about this investigation, to immediately demagogue and to immediately uh, propagandize 
uh, what's going on with this investigation because, you know, what if Trump, what if, what if there is smoking gun evidence that Trump was handing off classified information to some foreign, foreign adversary? We, we don't know that, you know, and, but, you know, if we're starting from the, or the starting point is immediately it's a hoax or it's a witch hunt, um, you know, it's, it's hard to walk that back because two of the most difficult sentences for, the, for human beings to speak are, I was wrong and I'm sorry. And so, you know, what, what ha- you know, what, a lot of what happens with, with Trumpism is that I think initially for, uh, there were a lot of people who didn't vote for Trump, they voted against Hillary, right? And when their vote for Hillary became an indictment of their morality because of Trump's lack of morality, they suddenly became, very, you know, motivated to exonerate themselves, to exonerate their morality. And one of the ways to do that was they could exonerate themselves by exonerating Trump. Well, where are you going to find Trump's exoneration. We're going to find it on Bannon. You're going to find it on Rush Limbaugh. You're going to find it on Fox News. You're going to find it on OAN. And so confirmation bias kicks in. In this case, the bias is I'm a good person, right? I didn't vote for a bad guy. I voted for what I thought was a bad woman against Hillary Clinton. And so I, I need to exonerate myself. I need to confirm the bias that I'm a good person. And so I'm going to seek out bias confirming news sources to tell me that I'm a good person. And in order to do that, they're going to be telling me that Trump is either a good guy or he's not a bad guy or he's innocent of all these other things. And so, you know, once you go down this path of having to uh, defend yourself, of having to defend your Trump or defend Trump, it becomes very difficult to pivot six months in, a year in, a year and a half in, two years in, six years in, whatever it is, after you've been standing by this guy every, you know, every step of the way, arguing with your, you know, your, your liberal, um, niece, you know, who's who's in college, or arguing with a, a sibling, or arguing, you know, with your friend, you know, from high school or whatever it is, to suddenly say, "My bad," you know, all, all, all those times I was being, a, you know, a complete, you know, jerk about this stuff. I was wrong. You were right. People, you know, people. It's difficult for people to do that. And so, you know, it's the farther you get, you, you, you know, the more off ramps that you pass up, the more difficult it is to finally take an off ramp because, you know, we we are invested. With our ego, we are invested with our identity. Um, you know, there's there's uh, research that has shown fMRI research that has shown that the same areas of the brain that light up when we experience physical pain will also light up when we experience social isolation or exclusion, right? And so, what that will show is that you know it's you know there's potentially a pain avoidance type uh, type of experience that occurs when we find ourselves disagreeing with or or uh, pushing back against a, a, a group of people, a tribe, uh, that we derive a sense of identity from or a sense of community from, whether that's a church, whether that's our, our family, because families may be, you know, if it's a family down south and everybody's conservative and you're the, you know, maybe you're not even a liberal, maybe you're just uh, uh, never Trump curious, or, you know, it's difficult to now suddenly uh, express that and be ostracized by the family, or be ostracized by your church, or be ostracized by, you know, guys at the gym or, you know, whatever that sense of community that particular group is, uh, it becomes very difficult. And it, it's much easier to remain um, comfortably wrong than to be uncomfortably right. Uh, if being com- uh, uncomfortably right means that you have to either maybe experience this pain avoidance uh, uh, um, issue that's going on with the brain or being uncomfortably right means that you have to basically be excommunicated from a group, a group that you identify with, have a sense of community and maybe uh, derive your identity from. Right. You don't want to not be able to go to church because you don't agree with people. You don't want to not be able to hang out with your family. You don't want to not be able to go to your workplace if everyone's uh, feeling one way and you're the uh, you're the outsider. No one wants that. Um, but also, you know, these true believers, this behavior, this 
searching of Mar-a-Lago, it kind of further convinces them of what they believe to be true, right? If they think that there's some deep state witch hunt and all of a sudden you have the FBI going into Trump's house um, or you have them prosecuting Trump for crimes, it can kind of convince them that they were right about the deep state to begin with, right? It's almost like their own confirmation bias that watching this happen, the rule of law happening is the proof that the deep state exists and is trying to shut down the guy who wants to break up the deep state, right? It's almost like self-prophesizing. Yeah, it, we're in a, you know, really, because of all the different disinformation and all of the conspiracy theories and the deep state stuff, the QAnon stuff, is that we're in a really weird position where the more we fix the problem, the worse it gets, right? Yeah. The, more that we, the more that the criminal justice system and the rule of law um, progresses, and deals with the problem, right? Holds somebody accountable. The worse the problem gets, because it's proof, uh, it, it, you know, it, it's proof on its face that the deep state exists because they're trying to take down Trump. And so, you know, it's it, it's almost an impossible, you know, it's an almost an impossible situation. And it was something I wrote the other day where we're basically as a country where when you, you know you're faced with two choices and neither one of them are good. The country may be damaged by not holding Trump accountable to avoid political violence, but at that point you're undermining the rule of law or you're going to withhold the rule of law and you may potentially cause damage to the country because there's going to be political violence. And if the country's going to be damaged either way, then you do the right thing, you uphold the rule of law, and you just deal with the consequences of it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You can't, we can't make these decisions. Um, as somebody cleverer than me said, the role of justice is not to change hearts and minds, but to assign accountability to those who have violated our laws, which is why it's very essential with all the people that have been out here and a lot of left wing people that have been out here saying, arrest Trump now, just get him, round up all these people, throw them in jail. And you're like, no, it is essential if we want to live in a country with a rule of law, that we follow the law to such an extent that it is every I is dotted, every T is crossed because you can see right now, I mean, everyone saw Trump took a bunch of stuff that he shouldn't have taken, a bunch of state secrets to Mar-a-Lago. The FBI has already been to his residence before to collect a bunch of boxes that he shouldn't have taken. This is only the, this is the second time because they believe he held things back, that they, he still had things there. So we all know he has done this one crime. This has nothing to do with 1-6. It has nothing to do with trying to steal the election. It has nothing to do with the coup, nothing to do with tax evasion, nothing to do with shaking people down. This has to do with something we all know he did, which is take state secrets from the White House with him to his private residence when he left. So we have to follow the rule of law step by step by step because there is no other way for us as a country to live under the rule of law. So the people that are calling for Trump to be arrested, calling for this to happen, you have to be very, very careful because you can see right now, even this, which is the least political, all the people that have signed off are Trump appointees for the most part, aside from Merrick Garland, who has not shown himself to be some sort of left-wing zealot, but they're following the rule of law and it's still a witch hunt. It's still wrong. It's still FBI is, is planting evidence. So that you can't win. So you have to follow the law exactly as it's meant to be, right? I think Jonathan Swift said, he's a, for those of you who don't know, he's a famous literary mind of the 17th century. He said, you cannot reason a person out of a position they did not reason themselves into in the first place, right? So we're not going to be able to convince people 
of one thing if they didn't use reason to get themselves in that position. This story isn't about the deep state. This story is about a former president who was and is a national security risk. You know, we all know he stole classified documents months ago, and I think they moved deliberately and diligently to get to where we were a couple of days ago. And we have to let um, justice play out no matter what comes of it, because that's how we function in a, a society that has laws. Yeah, it's, it, when we're facing you know, authoritarian aspiring uh, movement, you know, it becomes very tempting to fight fire with fire yes. or to, you know, hey, you know, when we're, you know, when they're going low, we're going high and then they're kicking our ass. So we need to go low also, that type of mentality. But if, you know, if, if your concern is to, if your objective is to preserve democracy, to preserve the rule of law, and then you are um, adopting the opposite, you know, the, the rights tactics in order to preserve the rule of law or preserve uh, democracy, well, by adopting rights tactics, tactics, you're not preserving democracy and rule of law. You're guaranteeing that it's going to it's going to disappear. Exactly. And so you have to you have to be really careful on, on process and how you handle all of those things. Uh, the other aspect of that is, you know, this is where you know it gets into some stuff I've written about uh, the weaponization of fear. But one of the things that we're seeing, and the right loves to do this, they you know they've uh, they, they they project a lot. They make a lot of accusations about. Uh, uh, authoritarian overreach with vaccine mandates. Um, you'll hear, you know, one of the things that we see is that when people are scared, they will basically in, in, embrace an authoritarian movement in order to protect themselves and their tribe from the other tribe's authoritarian instincts. And so it basically becomes almost a, an authoritarian arms race or, you know, proliferation of authoritarianism where one side will, you know, it, it just becomes. Uh, you know, everybody's trying to one up the other side in order to protect themselves from the other, you know, the perceived authoritarianism on the other side. And what that does is, you know, we're just, you know, you're, you're, you're on, uh, uh, you know, it's like going downhill without breaks towards an authoritarian uh, society. Absolutely. I mean, fear is a huge part of it, right? People are afraid in many ways. Their fear defines them, right? Fear of loss of status, fear of not measuring up, fear of the other, fear of losing a way of life, fear of losing their country. For the past decade, an entire group of people have been exploiting this fear into making a lot of Americans kind of exist in this extreme fight or flight response. And it plays into our politics. I mean, you have pointed out that people have been conditioned to live in a near constant state of hypervigilance, to see enemies everywhere, to see everything as a threat to their survival. And we know that when people are scared, they seek the safety and protection of others, what you call a tribe, right? And the more scared people are, the more they are willing to pay or sacrifice for their tribe's protection. I think you have said that in many cases, people have been willing to compromise their own values, their own morality to stay as part of the tribe. That's what you're talking about. People don't want to be ostracized from their church, from their workplace, from their friends, from their family. Um, what makes people do this? A lot of it is self-preservation, right? A lot of it is, you know, and one of the things we've seen, and I wrote something about this after the, um, it was the Patriot uh, Front Group, they were in that U Hall going up to the um, the Pride Festival, and I wrote something just about um, uh, with uh, the need for purpose uh, and meaning. And one of the things we see a lot on the right is that they like to incorporate uh, children into a lot of the narratives, whether it's it's Pizzagate, whether it's mask mandates, whether it's vaccine mandates, whether it's uh, Disney, the grooming, um, 
uh, you know, they because if you if you can basically frame the issue as one where you are protecting children, well, then basically anything that follows is justified because you know who who will who, you know who will um, argue against or you know who will not support um, an action or a movement that protects children, and so it becomes an ends justifies the means type of scenario that basically you can justify almost anything, any type of action. Um, if, if it falls under the guise of protecting kids. And so, you know, one of the things that we see a lot, um, um, and, I, you know, Trump lost in 2020, Trump lost a lot of support with suburban um, moms, right, with suburban women. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons why we see a lot of the narratives circling around children, because that's one of the ways to bring back um, suburban moms and, and women back in for 2024, or 2022, is to make them believe that their kids are under threat, whether it's grooming, whether it's the trans stuff, whether, you know, CRT, whatever. CRT, yeah, books, CRT is not yeah, book like banning. And so, you know, that's one of the ways that, you know, that they, um, that they, they, they try to frame this. And there's been research that has shown um, that exposure to chronic stress and the chronic fear literally rewires the brain so that we, when we encounter a subsequent fearful or stressful uh, um, situation, we, re we respond to it uh, with more intensity and for a longer duration. And, that, you know, when you see that happening over and over and over, we start to become irrational um, and almost disproportionately react um, with our, our fear response to, to the threat. And, you know, that becomes... You know, that that be, definitely becomes a problem with, with our politics, because as we're talking about with political violence, when people um, feel threatened, they will either defend themselves ultimately with violence or they will seek out someone who will defend them. And, you know, we've seen this, um, you know, a lot of times people will defend the tribe who will defend them. Right. We've seen pro-life uh, Christians who will defend Republicans and the NRA, even though it, it clearly um goes against their, their pro-life and, and Christian values. However, who, you know, who, who are the people, who are the politicians, who are the tribe that's defending um, religious uh, freedom? Well, it's Republicans. So you make that trade, that trade off and, you know, you basically, you know, the ends justifies the means. Well, we're, we're not, you know, we, we don't agree with maybe some of the gun laws. We don't agree with the lack of, of, uh, of initiatives being taken to protect kids and school shootings. However, you know, that's, this is the tribe that, that that protects us, so we're going to defend that tribe. Right, but also people are being told to be scared all the time. I mean, if you watch right-wing media, you know, Tucker's out here saying, when they come for you, and they will, this kind of stuff. And Republicans play into it by calling Democrats the enemy, the evil Democrats, you know, the, the pro-life, and I use the term very loosely because they're not, they talk about baby killers, QAnon itself, right, is all into uh, people being pedophiles and monsters and, you know, this kind of thing. So this fear, people are scared because they've been conditioned to be scared, right? And they're, they're being told that because it works. Yes, it does work. And, you know, the other thing about, and this goes back to the violence, is that when you can dehumanize your enemy, it makes it much easier to commit atrocities or, or to be inhumane to that person because, right. they, you know, they're evil or, you know, they're, they're pedophiles or whatever it may be. Um, and so that, you know, that's, that's definitely a part of it, for sure. Yeah, that's why this grooming talk around the LGBTQIA plus community or around the trans community is so dangerous because it dehumanizes those communities and paints them out as pedophiles and as groomers, which also takes away from real groomers who are out there actually grooming kids.
Well, yeah, you know, one of the things when I, I was on the Lincoln Project podcast, that was one of the things I was talking about with regards to, uh, you know, finding uh, purpose and meaning and trying to protect kids is that, you know, we don't see the Patriot Front showing up at NRA headquarters, right, when, when kids are getting shot up at schools. We don't see them showing up at Smith & Wesson's manufacturing plant um, after kids are getting shot up. We didn't see them. There was a recent uh, sex scandal with the Southern uh, Baptist Church. I think it was might be Russell Moore. He's a, uh, a preacher. I think he's been speaking out against this, uh, against uh, what's been going on with that. We don't see the Patriot Front, uh, you know, uh, um, protesting the, the Southern Baptist Church. We don't see them protesting the Catholic Church with all the stuff that they had going on for years. Uh, so, you know, it tends to be, you know, it tends to be very selective. It tends to be very targeted. Um, but as you said, it's very effective. Well, it's also, you know, you pick and choose when these problems are problems. You know, we are all law and order, all thin blue line, all, you know, back the blue until the FBI raids your savior's house. And then we are defund the FBI law. You know, the law is broken. It only works if it works for them. And I think people have to start seeing that that's an impossible uh position to live in well it goes back to tribalism i mean we defend we defend our tribe and our people at all costs and we will def- attack the other tribe and the other people at all costs the other the other tribe can do no right um and our tribe can do no wrong and you know it's, it's just it's such an absolute um you know state of mind that we're in with tribalism that it, you know, it's it's just not sustainable now a lot of people leading this charge to tribalism to trumpism to authoritarianism to the hate and fear of the other are what I would call small, scared little boys. Um, men that are basically posturing as alphas, if you believe in the alpha beta um, concept, which I'm, I think is a destructive way of looking at the world. But if we want to talk about it as an alpha, um, we look at Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham and Tucker Carlson and Nick Fuentes and Ben Shapiro. These are not alphas in the old school sense of the word. These are not men we would look to lead us. These are posturing bullies, kind of squishy little betas who are trying to convince themselves that they are alphas. And they're trying to function in a world of lying bullies like Trump and DeSantis. And as a previous guest of ours, Mark Green recently said, this slide into extremism is the result of these weak, insecure men trying to outdo each other, right? Doubling down on sexist, racist, anti-Semitic, xenophobic rhetoric and to outman each other. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think... Non-medical in-home caregivers needed. Find a new, fun, and meaningful career path at Instant Care, a non-medical in-home caregiving company that's now offering up to a three... Who I believe their goal is to educate and empower the public and policymakers against dangerous political leadership. You must be having a professional field day with this rise of authoritarianism in America. I just recently joined in June. Um, it's Randy Lee is the president of that. Uh, Ruth Bendiad is on, is on there, and uh, it was an honor just to be considered to be invited on that, let alone to be brought on. And so uh, and I'm just kind of getting my feet wet with that. But uh, in addition to uh, trying to warn the world or the country about pathology and leadership, uh, one of the goals that we're trying to transition to is basically trying to heal the country. I mean, we've kind of already got to that point where the, you know, the warning is already understood. We see what's going on. Um, it's pretty self-evident. Uh, now, at this point, it's, well, you know, what do we do about it? You know, how, how do we fix this? How do we deal with the, the division, the antagonism, um, and, uh, you know, hopefully the, uh, try to avoid uh, political violence, because as we've seen the last couple of days with the FBI raid of Mar-a-Lago, um, the 
political, the, the, the violent rhetoric has really amped up. Yeah, no, it really has. I mean, the call for civil war is all over the place right now. It's bananas. It's people are just dying to use their guns. So let's talk about the most recent news. You know, the FBI and the Justice Department has a warrant to search Mar-a-Lago, and the right is absolutely losing their minds, right? That it's some deep state witch hunt when it's simply just democracy and justice in action. I believe you don't become the first FBI director, the first attorney general, and the first federal judge in our nation's history to grant a search and seizure warrant for the home of a former president unless you've seen rock-solid proof, right? So no matter what we hear the Republicans and the right-wing pundits saying on television, there is just absolutely no way these people went off half-cocked, right? Legal experts are being very clear. There is not a soul, not even the most liberal judge, and in this case it was a Trump-appointed judge, who would sign off on a search of a former private residence of uh, a president without absolutely solid proof that crimes had taken place or were taking place right now. So we have these Trump Republicans in complete denial, some refusing to believe there was an actual search, some thinking it's a witch hunt. The new one is that the FBI is there to plant evidence, right? But it's all about this deep state that's hell-bent on taking their savior down. The GOP judiciary tweeted that if they can do this to a former president, imagine what they can do to you. Dan Bongino was just on Fox News saying that this is some third world bullshit. They're out here talking about Hillary Clinton and Hunter Biden, who they very clearly want to lock up without any proof of a crime. They're threatening Merrick Garland um, with arrest and congressional subpoenas for doing his job. They're attacking the FBI itself as corrupt. They're asking to um, defund the FBI. And yet the head of the FBI is a Trump appointee and clearly not some left-wing zealot. The right-wing media and the far-right GOP are selling this like it is some kind of monstrous overstep when this is literally the perfect example of how justice is supposed to work in a democracy. So the projection here is astounding. But as we start to see the wheels of justice turning, you've been very clear that holding Trump accountable isn't going to change the mind of most of his supporters, even if we see smoking gun evidence. So can you talk me through that psychologically? Let me see if I can back up. I mean, there was a lot there that you mentioned. I think, you know, first and foremost, we're at a really dangerous place uh, as, a, as a country where um, one political party thinks that every election that they lose is fixed and every investigation uh, against somebody in their tribe is a witch hunt or a hoax. And, uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a really dangerous place to be where we can't accept any outcome unless we win and we don't accept any investigation unless it's happening to the other guy. Right. Um, and that's just impossible to, uh, to function. It, it may be impossible to survive as a country. Um, you know, another part of it, too, and, th and this is something that, you know, that, that just a, as a society in general is we know very little about this investigation. And unfortunately, you know, everybody rushes to, you know, it's, it's like the Dunning-Kruger effect where everybody rushes. The, the less we know about something, the more confident we feel about speaking about something authoritatively. We don't know a damn thing about this damn. I mean, we can we can speculate that because that, as, as you point, you laid it out. That's how the justice system works. So we can assume that that's happening. Um, but we, without even making assumptions, it, it's incredibly irresponsible and dangerous to, uh, without knowing anything about this investigation, to immediately demagogue and to immediately uh, propagandize uh, what's going on with this investigation. Because, you know, what if Trump, what if, what if there is smoking gun evidence that Trump was handing off classified information 
to some foreign, foreign adversary. We we don't know that, you know. And but you know, if we're starting from the uh, the starting point is immediately it's a hoax or it's a witch hunt. Um, you know, it's it's hard to walk that back because two of the most difficult sentences for the, for human beings to speak are "I was wrong" and "I'm sorry." And so, you know, what what ha- you know, what, a lot of what happens with with Trumpism is that. I think initially for, uh, there were a lot of people who didn't vote for Trump, they voted against Hillary, right? And when their vote for Hillary became an indictment of their morality because of Trump's lack of morality, they suddenly became very, you know, motivated to exonerate themselves, to exonerate their morality. And one of the ways to do that was they could exonerate themselves by exonerating Trump. Well, where are you going to find Trump's exoneration? Well, you're going to find it on Bannon, you're going to find it on Rush Limbaugh, you're going to find it on Fox News, you're going to find it on OAN. And so confirmation bias kicks in. In this case, the bias is I'm a good person, right? I didn't vote for a bad guy. I voted for what I thought was a bad woman against Hillary Clinton. And so I, I need to exonerate myself. I need to confirm the bias that I'm a good person. And so I'm going to seek out bias confirming news sources to tell me that I'm a good person. And in order to do that, they're going to be telling me that Trump is either a good guy or he's not a bad guy or he's innocent of all these other things. And so, you know, once you go down this path of having to uh, defend yourself of having to defend your Trump it, or defend Trump, it becomes very difficult to pivot six months in, a year in, a year and a half in, two years in, six years in, whatever it is, after you've been standing by this guy every, you know, every step of the way, arguing with your, you know, your, your liberal um, niece, you know, who's, who's in college or arguing with a, a sibling or arguing, you know, with your friend, you know, from high school or whatever it is to suddenly say, my bad, you know, all, the, all those times I was being, a, you know, a complete, you know, jerk about this stuff, I was wrong, you were right. People, you know, people, it's difficult for people to do that. And so, you know, it's the farther you get, you, you, you know, the more off-ramps that you pass up, the more difficult it is to finally take an off-ramp because, you know, we, we are invested with our ego, we are invested with our identity. Um, you know, there's, there's uh, research that has shown, fMRI research that has shown that the same areas of the brain that light up when we experience physical pain will also light up when we experience social isolation or exclusion, right? And so what that will show is that, you know, it's, you know there's potentially a pain avoidance type, uh, type of experience that occurs when we find ourselves disagreeing with or, or uh, pushing back against a, a, a group of people, a tribe, uh, that we derive a sense of identity from or a sense of community from, whether that's a church, whether that's our, our family, because families may be, you know, if it's a family down south and everybody's conservative and you're the, you know, maybe you're not even a liberal, maybe you're just uh, uh, never Trump curious, or, you know, it's difficult to now suddenly uh, express that and be ostracized by the family, or be ostracized by your church, or be ostracized by, you know, guys at the gym or, you know, whatever that sense of community or that particular group is, uh, it becomes very difficult. And it's much easier to remain um, comfortably wrong than to be uncomfortably right. Uh, If being uh, uncomfortably right means that you have to either maybe experience this pain avoidance uh, uh, um, issue that's going on with the brain or being uncomfortably right means that you have to basically be excommunicated from a group group that you identify with, have a sense of community and maybe uh, derive your identity from. Right. You don't want to not be able to go to church because you don't agree with people. You don't want to not be able to hang out with your family. You don't want to not be able to go to your workplace if everyone's uh, feeling one way and you're the uh, you're the outsider. No one wants that. Um, but also, you know, these true believers, this behavior, this searching of Mar-a-Lago, it kind of further convinces them of what they believe to be true. Right. 
if they think that there's some deep state witch hunt and all of a sudden you have the FBI going into Trump's house um, or you have them prosecuting Trump for crimes, it can kind of convince them that they were right about the deep state to begin with, right? It's almost like their own confirmation bias that watching this happen, the rule of law happening is the proof that the deep state exists and is trying to shut down the guy who wants to break up the deep state, right? It's almost like self-prophesizing. Yeah, it, we're in a, you know, really, because of all the different disinformation and all of the conspiracy theories and the deep state stuff, the QAnon stuff, is that we're in a really weird position where the more we fix the problem, the worse it gets, right? Yeah. The, more that we, the more that the criminal justice system and the rule of law um, progresses, and deals with the problem, right? Holds somebody accountable. The worse the problem gets, because it's proof, uh, it, it, you know, it, it's proof on its face that the deep state exists because they're trying to take down Trump. And so, you know, it's it, it's almost an impossible, you know, it's an almost an impossible situation. And it was something I wrote the other day where we're basically as a country where when you, you know you're faced with two choices and neither one of them are good. The country may be damaged by not holding Trump accountable to avoid political violence, but at that point. You're undermining the rule of law, or you're going to withhold the rule of law, and you may potentially cause damage to the country because there's going to be political violence. And if the country's going to be damaged either way, then you do the right thing, you uphold the rule of law, and you just deal with the consequences of it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You can't, we can't make these decisions. Um, as somebody cleverer than me said, the role of justice is not to change hearts and minds, but to assign accountability to those who have violated our laws which is why it's very essential with all the people that have been out here and a lot of left-wing people that have been out here saying, arrest Trump now, just get him, round up all these people, throw them in jail. And you're like, no, it is essential if we want to live in a country with a rule of law that we follow the law to such an extent that it is every I is dotted, every T is crossed because you can see right now, I mean, everyone saw Trump took a bunch of stuff that he shouldn't have taken, a bunch of state secrets to Mar-a-Lago. The FBI has already been to his residence before to collect a bunch of boxes that he shouldn't have taken. This is only the, this is the second time because they believe he held things back, that they, he still had things there. So we all know he has done this one crime. This has nothing to do with 1-6. It has nothing to do with trying to steal the election. It has nothing to do with the coup, nothing to do with tax evasion, nothing to do with shaking people down. This has to do with something we all know he did, which is take state secrets from the White House with him to his private residence when he left. So we have to follow the rule of law step by step by step because there is no other way for us as a country to live under the rule of law. So the people that are calling for Trump to be arrested, calling for this to happen, you have to be very, very careful because you can see right now, even this, which is the least political, all the people that have signed off are Trump appointees for the most part, aside from Merrick Garland, who has not shown himself to be some sort of left-wing zealot. But This trick to get gas for a penny is going to get banned in Canada. This ex-programmer got fired from his job at a German car manufacturer after exposing a software bug in the fuel... ...shown himself to be some sort of left-wing zealot, but they're following the rule of law, and it's still a witch hunt. It's still wrong. It's still FBI is, is planting evidence. So the, you can't win. So you have to follow the law exactly as it's meant to be, right? I think Jonathan Swift said, who's a... For those of you who don't know, he's a famous literary Sirs. mind of the 17th century. He said, 
you cannot reason a person out of a position they did not reason themselves into in the first place, right? So we're not going to be able to convince people of one thing if they didn't use reason to get themselves in that position. This story isn't about the deep state. This story is about a former president who was and is a national security risk. You know, we all know he stole classified documents months ago, and I think they moved deliberately and diligently to get to where we were a couple of days ago. And we have to let um, justice play out no matter what comes of it, because that's how we function in a, a society that has laws. Yeah, it's, it, when we're facing a, you know, an authoritarian aspiring uh, movement, you know, it becomes very tempting to fight fire with fire, yes. or to you know, hey, you know, when we're you know, when they're going low, we're going high, and they're kicking our ass, so we need to go low. Also, that type of mentality. But if you know, if if your concern is to if your objective is to preserve democracy, to preserve the rule of law, and then you are um, adopting the opposite, you know, the, the race tactics in order to preserve the rule of law, preserve uh, democracy. Well, by adopting race tactics, tactics, you're not preserving democracy and the rule of law. You're guaranteeing that it's going to it's going to disappear. Exactly. And so you have to you have to be really careful on, on process and how you handle all of those things. Uh, the other aspect of that is you know. This is where, you know, gets into some stuff I've written about uh, the weaponization of fear. But one of the things that we're seeing, and the right loves to do this, they, you know, they've, uh, they, they, they project a lot, they make a lot of accusations about uh, authoritarian overreach with vaccine mandates. Um, you'll hear, you know, one of the things that we see is that when people are scared, they will basically in, in, in embrace an authoritarian movement in order to protect themselves and their tribe from the other tribe's authoritarian instincts. And so it basically becomes almost a, an authoritarian arms race or, you know, proliferation of authoritarianism where one side will, you know, it, it just becomes, uh, you know, everybody's trying to one-up the other side in order to protect themselves from the other, you know, the perceived authoritarianism of the other side. And what that does is, you know, we're just, you know, you're, you're on the, uh, you know, it's like going downhill without brace towards an authoritarian uh, society. Absolutely. I mean, fear is a huge part of it, right? People are afraid. In many ways, their fear defines them, right? Fear of loss of status, fear of not measuring up, fear of the other, fear of losing a way of life, fear of losing their country. For the past decade, an entire group of people have been exploiting this fear into making a lot of Americans kind of exist in this extreme fight or flight response. And it plays into our politics. I mean, you pointed out that people have been conditioned to live in a near constant state of hypervigilance, to see enemies everywhere, to see everything as a threat to their survival. And we know that when people are scared, they seek the safety and protection of others, what you call a tribe, right? And the more scared people are, the more they are willing to pay or sacrifice for their tribe's protection. I think you have decided that in many cases, people have been willing to compromise their own values, their own morality to stay as part of the tribe. That's what you're talking about. People don't want to be ostracized from their church, from their workplace, from their friends, from their family. Um, what makes people do this? A lot of it is self-preservation, right? A lot of it is, you know, and, and one of the things I wrote something about this after the, uh, it was the Patriot uh, Front Group, there, and that you all going up to the uh, the Pride Festival, and I wrote something just about um, uh, with, uh, the need for purpose uh, and meaning. And one of the things we see a lot on the right is that they like to incorporate 
children into a lot of the narratives, whether it's, it's Pizzagate, whether it's mask mandates, whether it's vaccine mandates, whether it's uh, Disney, the grooming, um, uh, you know, they, because if you, if you can basically frame the issue as one where you are protecting children, well then basically anything that follows is justified because you know, who, 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 you know, who will um, argue against or you know, who will not support um, an action or a movement that protects children? And so it becomes an end justifies the means type of scenario that basically you can justify almost anything, any type of action, um, if, if it falls under the guise of protecting kids. And so, you know, one of the things that we see a lot, uh, um, and I, you know, Trump lost in 2020, Trump lost a lot of support with the uh, moms, right, with suburban women. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons why we see a lot of the narratives circling around children, because that's one of the ways to bring back um, suburban moms and, and women back into 2024, 2022, is to make them believe that their kids are under threat. Whether it's grooming or trans stuff or you know, whatever. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, and so, you know, that's one of the ways that, you know, that they, um, that they, they, they try to frame this. And there's been research that has shown um, that exposure to chronic stress and the chronic fear literally rewires the brain so that we, when we encounter a subsequent fearful or stressful um, situation, we, re we respond to it uh, with more intensity and for a longer duration. And, it, you know, when you see that happening over and over and over, we start to become irrational um, and almost disproportionately react um, with our, our fear response to, to the threat. And, you know, that becomes, you know, that, that be definitely becomes a problem with, with our politics because as we're talking about with political violence, when people um, feel threatened, they will either defend themselves ultimately with violence or they will seek out someone who will defend them. And, you know, we've seen this, um, you know, a lot of times people will defend the tribe who will defend them, right? We've seen pro-life uh, Christians who will defend Republicans and the NRA, even though it, it clearly uh, goes against their, their pro-life and, and Christian values. However, who, you know, who, who are the people, who are the politicians, who are the tribe that's defending um, religious freedom? Well, it's Republicans. So you make that trade that trade off, and you, know, you basically, you know, the ends justifies the means. Well, we're, we're not, you know, we, we don't agree with maybe some of the gun laws. We don't agree with the lack of of, uh, of initiatives being taken to protect kids and school shootings. However, you know, that this is the tribe that, that, that protects us, so we're going to defend that tribe. Right, but also people are being told to be scared all the time. I mean, if you watch right-wing media, you know, Tucker's out here saying, when they come for you, and they will, this kind of stuff. And Republicans play into it by calling Democrats the enemy, the evil Democrats. You know, the, the pro-life, and I use the term very loosely because they're not, they talk about baby killers. QAnon itself, right, is all into uh, people being pedophiles and monsters, and, you know, this kind of thing. So this fear, people are scared because they've been conditioned to be scared, right? And they're, they're being told that because it works. Yes, it does work. And, you know, the other thing about, and this goes back to the violence, is that when you can dehumanize your enemy, it makes it much easier to commit 
atrocities or, or to be inhumane to that person because you know they're evil or you know they're they're pedophiles or whatever it may be. Um, and so that you know that's that's definitely a part of it for sure. Yeah, that's why this grooming talk around the LGBTQIA plus community or around the trans community is so dangerous because it dehumanizes those communities and paints them out as pedophiles and as groomers, which also takes away from real groomers who are out there actually grooming kids. Well, yeah, you know, one of the things when I, I was on the Lincoln Project podcast, that was one of the things I was talking about with regards to, uh, you know, finding um, purpose and meaning and trying to protect kids is that, you know, we don't see the Patriot Front showing up at NRA headquarters, right, when, when kids are getting shot up at school. We don't see them showing up at Smith & Wesson's manufacturing plant um, after kids are getting shot up. We didn't see them. There was a recent uh, sex scandal with the Southern uh, Baptist Church. I think it was might be Russell Moore. He's a, uh, a preacher. I think he's been speaking out against this, uh, against uh, what's been going on with that. We don't see the Patriot Front, uh, you know, uh, um, protesting the, the Southern Baptist Church. We don't see him protesting the Catholic Church with all the stuff that they had going on for years. Uh, so you know, it tends to be you know, it tends to be very selective. It tends to be very targeted. Um, but as you said, it's very effective. Well, it's also you know, you pick and choose when these problems are problems. You know, we are all law and order, all thin blue line, all you know, back the blue until the FBI. When you're inspired, that something grabs a hold of you. Being inspired means you're in the state of being in spirit, and it's like something else is in control. It's like a calling. It's like your life's purpose or something like that. And you can this ignore it as much as you want, but it's not going to stop. There's always going to be that little voice telling you that you're not doing something that you're supposed to, something that you were born to do. And when you can get into an inspired state, you have unlimited energy. When you're motivated, you set the alarm clock really early, but when you're inspired, you don't need the alarm clock at all. Which stage of life are you on? Carl Jung talked about the four stages in life that are marked by different desires and motivations. The athlete stage. On this stage, everything is about appearances. We're only preoccupied with how we look. The warrior stage. This stage is all about competing, defeating others, and conquering the world. The statesman stage. On this stage, you're no longer fulfilled by your achievements, and you're looking for ways to give back, to serve others. The spirit stage. On this stage, you realize that you're not your thoughts and emotions. You're the awareness behind them, and your self-identity is connected to something much deeper than what you have and what you've done. What does Taoism teach about leadership? Lao Tzu what? writes in the Tao Te which stage of life are you on? Carl Jung talked about the four stages in life that are marked by different desires and motivations. The athlete stage. On this stage, everything is about appearances. We're only preoccupied with how we look. The warrior stage. This stage is all about competing, defeating others, and conquering the world. The statesman stage. On this stage, you're no longer fulfilled by your achievements, and you're looking for ways to give back, to serve others. The spirit stage. On this stage, you realize that you're not your thoughts and emotions. You're the awareness behind them, and your self-identity is connected to something much deeper than what you have and what you've done. What does Taoism teach about leadership? Lao Tzu writes in the Tao Te Ching that the sea is the king of all the rivers and the valleys because it keeps itself in a lower position. Likewise, a wise leader is someone who keeps himself beneath others. If you can be humble and you don't act superior to the people that you're leading, you can become a more effective leader because people are much more likely to follow you. Just like all the rivers and the creeks will eventually flow to the sea, so will all the people flock to a leader who doesn't act superior to them.
this quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said, when you were born, what does Taoism teach about leadership? Lao Tzu writes in the Tao Te Ching that the sea is the king of all the rivers and the valleys because it keeps itself in a lower position. Likewise, a wise leader is someone who keeps himself beneath others. If you can be humble and you don't act superior... This doesn't apply to authoritarian leaders, does it? Question mark. This quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said, when you were born, you were crying and everyone else was smiling. Live your life in such a way that at the end, you'll be the one smiling and everyone else is crying. I love this. How do you become more resilient? In the book, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, he talks about building resilience through having a sense of meaning in life. Frankl was a Jewish psychiatrist who lived during the rise of the Nazis. And because of his background, him and his family were placed in a concentration camp where he witnessed some of the most horrible things. But he went into those camps with the determination that he would survive. And he writes something very interesting in his book. He says that in order for him to survive, he had to find the beauty in everything even in the smallest insignificant things because when he was able to do that he was able to find a sense of meaning even through all of the suffering and he noticed that when people lost their sense of meaning they would also lose their will to live after he survived the holocaust frankel went on to develop a new field of psychology known as logotherapy and the main point of that field is that having a sense of meaning is paramount to a person's mental well-being hmm. Did you see Chris Pratt's speech in the 2018 MTV Movie Awards? It was incredible. Doesn't matter what it is, earn it. A good deed, reach out to someone in pain, be of service, it feels good and it's good for your soul. If you're strong, be a protector, and if you're smart, be a humble influencer. Strength and intelligence can be weapons and do not wield them against the weak. That makes you a bully. Be bigger than that. Nobody is perfect. People are going to tell you you're perfect just the way you are. You're not. You are imperfect. You always will be. But there is a powerful force that designed you that way. And if you're willing to accept that, you will have grace. And grace is a gift. And like the freedom that we enjoy in this country, that grace was paid for with somebody else's blood. Do not forget it. Don't take it for granted. Do you find yourself stuck living in the past? Here's a metaphor from Alan Watts that was really helpful to me. Imagine you're in a boat cruising upriver and you walk towards the back of the boat and you ask yourself three questions. The first question is, what is the wake of the boat? Well, the wake is just the trail that the boat leaves behind. The second question is, what is propelling the boat forward? And the answer to that is the present moment energy. In other words, our thoughts and our actions in the present moment is what propels the boat forward. And the last and most important question is, can the wake propel the boat forward? And of course, the answer to that is no. So the lesson is, give up your personal history. Your past cannot dictate where you move in life. All the stories about your family, how you were brought up, all of those events are just the trail of your life. You don't need to let it dictate where your life goes and remind yourself that only the present moment energy is what propels the boat forward. Mm. Do you, have you
you heard about the story of the Buddha and the gift of anger? So the Buddha had been traveling for many days and he came to a town to give a speech. And when the Buddha was giving a speech, this guy kept yelling from the back, he kept insulting the Buddha, but the Buddha didn't react in any way. And this infuriated this guy even more. And at the end, he walked up to the Buddha and he said, you know, I've been shouting at you, I've been yelling and screaming and insulting you this entire time, yet you didn't pay any attention to me. How is that possible? And the Buddha said, let me ask you a question. If you wanted to give somebody a gift, but they did not accept that gift, then to whom does that gift belong? And the guy thought about it and said, well, it would belong to me since I'm the giver. And there's a valuable lesson there for everyone. That's how you deal with angry and negative toxic people. That's how you protect your energy. You just don't react. You don't accept that gift and it will remain with them and it ends up hurting them more than it hurts you. Have you heard about the story of the Buddha and the gift of anger? So the Buddha had been traveling for many days and he came to a town to give a speech. And when the Buddha was giving a speech, this guy kept yelling from the back. He kept insulting the Buddha, but the Buddha didn't react in any way. And this infuriated this guy even more. And at the end, he walked up to the Buddha and he said, you know, I've been shouting at you. I've been yelling and screaming and insulting you this entire time. Yet you didn't pay any attention to me. How is that possible? And the Buddha said, let me ask you a question. If you wanted to give somebody a gift, but they did not accept that gift, then to whom does that gift belong? And the guy thought about it and said, well, it would belong to me since I'm the giver. And there's a, there's a powerful scene in the movie Mary Magdalene where Jesus, played by Joaquin Phoenix, is teaching a group of women about forgiveness and its absolute gold. So they judge you, so you must forgive them. Forgiveness? I hear it, a woman from Cain. Her husband found her with another man, and he and his brother. They dragged her to the river and they raped her. And after they were done, they drove in the court before they were sentenced. One of them whispered to God to forgive, but I'm not God. How does it feel to carry that hate in your heart? Does it lessen as the months go by? It seeps into your days and the nights. Until it consumes everything you once were. Those men, they too were filled with hate. You are strong, sister, but you must forgive. There's a powerful scene in the movie Mary Magdalene where Jesus, played by Joaquin Phoenix, is teaching a group of women about forgiveness and its absolute gold. So they judge you, so you must forgive them.
can do something which you don't approve of. That doesn't make them a bad person. And it also very, very clearly says that there is no one path to enlightenment. There are multiple paths. You do what works for you. How can somebody like me, how can somebody like me look at a book like Bhagavad Gita? What lessons can I take from that and apply it in my life to lead a more successful, healthier, joyful, peaceful life? Uh, first and foremost, there is no good guy and bad guy in the Bhagavad Gita. Everything is contextual. People are... Okie doke, so that was, um, that was it, that was great. <clears throat> Let's see what's going on with... And... Subsections... What happened in my mighty set? Powerful words of Tennessee. Kamala Harris stands a powerful speech in front of the Tennessee Three. It wasn't about the three of these leaders. It was about who they were representing. It's about whose voices they were channeling. Understand that. And is that not what a democracy allows? Democracy says you don't silence the people. You do not stifle the people. You don't turn off their microphones when they are speaking about the importance of life and liberty. That is not what a democracy does. Yeah. Good luck with that. It wasn't about the three of these leaders. It was about who they were representing. This is the top team of America. Dispel voices of opposition in this. Lindsey Graham gets Trump haircut and fake tan. You can't afford a dollar sign. Just pray. Make sure you vote as early as you can in your state. Don't risk anything anymore. Vote as soon as you can. Democratic lawmaker brings the house down his most powerful speech of the year.
Did we watch this lights on? I got to ruin Mark Barton here at Sandy Hook Promise. On December 14, 2012. I'm Jessica Denson, and this is Lights On. Fascism is characterized by the forcible suppression uh. of opposition. We are witnessing an American political party who is embracing that oppression without shame. Across the country, the fascist GOP is scrambling because they know their time is short. In breaking news, we just learned that a federal judge in Texas has suspended FDA approval of the abortion pill, Mifepristone. This coming on the same week, of course, that the fascist beer leader was finally arrested. This party is desperate to cling on to power by any means. In the Tennessee legislature, that meant expelling two brilliant young black lawmakers who refused to be silent on the anniversary week of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., no less. No wonder these fascist politicians don't want us to learn history. But while the Republican Party is taking a tailspin into the darkness, the politics of love, to borrow a phrase from Representative Jamal Bowman, are thriving in the light. Love for democracy, love for truth, love for life and freedom and the rights of our fellow men and women. This movement of love not only catapulted the cause for gun safety this week in Nashville, but also brought about a historic victory in Wisconsin, where the pro-democracy, pro-choice candidate for the state Supreme Court won by a landslide. The pro-democracy majority in Wisconsin now controls the state's highest court for the first time in 15 years. And speaking of love, the wheels of justice are turning against the oppressive, obstructive ways of former President Donald Trump, not only in the lovely city of New York, but all the way down the beautiful East Coast. I have an exclusive update to share with you in my case against the Trump campaign. And in D.C., special counsel Jack Smith is winning one legal battle after another to obtain the testimony of everyone from key witnesses at Mar-a-Lago to Trump's chief of staff Mark Meadows and former Vice President Mike Pence. Trump sycophants may cry tears over his arrest, but no one has ever shown more love for Trump than the prosecutors finally forcing him to face truth. Here we are, Ben Marcellus. What a, what an, a momentous week once again. A momentous week, and before we went live, like literally minutes before we went live, we learned about this horrific order coming out of the Northern District of Texas by a judge named uh, Judge Matthew Kosmerich. Um, judge Kosmerich is a Trump appointee. Um, sits in the Northern District of Texas, and uh, he has stayed the FDA approval of Mifepristone, the abortion pill that's been approved for over two decades. This order is slated to take effect in seven days, and to be very clear what it means by staying the effective date of the FDA's approval, it means stopping it. It means not allowing Mifepristone to be sold. And that will take place in seven days. Um, This is a, you heard that right, it is a 2000 uh, approval. This isn't, we're not talking about, you know, there was some agency actions in the past few years as well, but we're talking about a drug that was approved in September of 2000, Ah, a drug that's efficacy has been proven 100% safe. And this is not a both sides issue. These are MAGA Republican groups that have been forum shopping to try to find the right judge to make this order. 
They've been looking for courts across the country for the past two decades to find the right judge, and they found the right judge in the extremist fascist in Judge Matthew Kaczmarek. Um, let me just read for you what the order says. And again, I've had some opportunity to go through it. It's a 67-page order, um, and we got it about 10 minutes before, but I've been able to distill some of the highlights here. Um, so uh, the order says the following. Accordingly, the court hereby stays the effective date of the FDA's September 28, 2000 approval of Mifepristone and all subsequent challenged actions related to that approval, for example, the 2016 changes, the 2019 generic approval, and the 2021 actions. Let me pause there for a second. The reason that that's important is that this was past the statute of limitations. The ability to challenge an agency action is a six-year statute of limitations. And what the court found here was because the FDA have approved other versions, basically, of Mifepristone, that basically the statute of limitations from 2000 was told and continued on uh, until 2019 uh, and 2021. That is the tortured logic that the court used to go all the way back to 2000. The court goes on to say, this court acknowledges that its decision in Texas v. Biden has been appealed to the Fifth Circuit. That is a case involving other action where this court has basically gutted life-saving drugs uh, to be issued. If the Fifth Circuit reverses this court's Section 705 analysis, the court clarifies that it alternatively would have ordered defendants to suspend the chemical abortion approval and all subsequent challenged actions related to that approval until the court can render a decision on the merits. So here the court's saying, regardless of what you rule, Court of Appeals, on the other issues, I am still saying that my ruling here is not going to be effective. So try effective at all. So the court's trying to dig in its heels uh, further. Um, and there's a seven-day period for this to be appealed by the Department of Justice. So this doesn't go into effect for seven days, um, but the appeal ultimately will go to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which has been filled with Trump judges. So the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals is not a friendly place for democracy, for women, oh for LGBTQ+. They are a very hateful and despicable place. I don't want to mince my words here. So that is the group that's going to be hearing uh, this challenge. And I I'll just go through just very, very briefly some of the other portions of this order, because people are probably saying, um, you know, how could this be so? How could this be um, happening? And the court basically looked at uh, the FDA's approval process and said it was arbitrary and capricious. And the court also found that in 2000, there was uh, a what's called a subpart H that was issued um, and that this didn't comply with the subpart H, which the court says to satisfy subpart H, FDA deemed pregnancy a serious or life-threatening illness and concluded that mifepristone provided meaningful therapeutic benefits to patients for existing treatments. And the court basically found pregnancy is just simply a normal physiological state. That is a male judge saying there's nothing dangerous about pregnancy. It's a normal physiological state. So that's basically the, uh, the order there. Wow.
I mean, we, and, and, and we are now just getting a new breaking update because we are live where a Washington okay. judge just issued, I mean, this is happening as we as are we, live, a dueling injunction prohibiting. They shouldn't have the to vote, have a vote on, on uh, women's issues. Off the market, which directly conflicts with Judge Kaczmarek, and it says pursuant to federal rule of civil procedure, 65A. It's none of their fucking business. Their officers, agents, servants, employees, attorneys, and any person in active concert or participation are preliminarily enjoined from altering the status quo mm. and rights as it relates to the availability of Mifepristone under the current operative January 2023 risk evaluation. So you see that ruling in Washington, that ruling in Texas, and it's chaos, not created by both sides. I think men shouldn't be able to vote on this issue because it's none of their goddamn business. This drug has been around since 2000. It's been safe. A woman has a right to control her body. These, This is the MAGA Republicans wanting to take our country to very, very, very dark times and trying to make our country look like fascist regimes. That's what's going on. That's my report, Jessica, on what we know now. And you see why I, I uh, object to you calling yourself my sidekick, because you, you are an invaluable part of this broadcast. I could not have done that without you. Thank you so much, Ben Micellis, for your uh, in-depth legal breaking analysis of that news. Was it Washington State, uh, I'm assuming, that the other conflicting uh, order is coming out of? Yeah, I mean, it's just so remarkable because this is, this is what they are doing. They are digging their heels in on the abortion issue um, and gun control is the other major issue that we saw highlighted so in such relief this week. These are not popular positions that they hold. They are. College helps or hinders the election of our president. Duh. Welcome to Political Beatdown with Political Michael beat Cohen down. and Ben Micellis. Great to be here with you, Cohen. I just want to get right into it because this has been a historic week to say the least, and I don't want to waste a single moment with an introduction other than just to ask you, Michael Cohen, how are you doing? Uh, you know, it's a great question. A lot of people have been asking, you know, me that uh, question. I've been getting a tremendous amount of um, emails from people all around the country, especially on, you know, my social media platforms. And I'm very torn, as I explained before. Uh, I'm torn simply because, in one hand, I believe in accountability, and I'm extremely happy that the story, the true story is coming out in terms of all of the things that happened to me in the past. So for that, I'm thankful for all of this that's going on, because, again, Donald has managed to escape accountability his entire life. Um, not now and not what appears to be coming down the pike for him. But at the same time, as I said, I think the last time to my brigaders, I'm upset 
And I'm sad for the United States of America that many of my friends who live overseas, including family that live in Canada, I mean, the first thing that they say to me is, I can't believe that a former president of the United States has been indicted first time in United States history. What a laughing stock of the world that we've become. And again, this is something that you're not supposed to take pleasure in. I am glad, again, that Donald is finally being held accountable. It just sucks that he was the former president of the United States, because it does make us look foolish uh, in the eyes of the world. Well, he made us look foolish. He made this country look foolish. He disgraced that office each and every single day. And I, for one, am glad that he's being held accountable and he's being brought uh, to justice. And one of the reasons that I ask you that question as well, um, well, for a lot of reasons, but, you know, we're, we're hearing about all of these death threats right now uh, against the presiding judge, Judge Juan Mershon. And, you know, Donald Trump made posts on his social media platform attacking the judge before uh, the criminal arraignment uh, took place. While the criminal arraignment was taking place, Donald Trump's deranged kids, Eric and Don Jr. and Marjorie Taylor Greene, who acts like a fascist kid, um, they were all posting on their social media platforms photographs of Judge Juan Mershon's daughter, who I believe was also subject to death threats, as were uh, the court staff in uh, Judge Juan Mershon's uh, courtroom. I want to play for you this clip as well, because after the criminal arraignment, uh, Donald Trump, who was clearly deflated uh, when he was leaving the courtroom, went back to Mar-a-Lago and gave this incredibly bizarre, vile, low-energy, deranged speech where he kept on sniffling over and over Again, but this is what he said about uh, Judge Juan Mershon during the speech that he gave. Play, play this clip. Numbers. Not the same place that I know, not the same place that you know. And this is where we are right now. I have a Trump-hating judge with a Trump-hating wife and family whose daughter worked for Kamala Harris and now receives money from the Biden-Harris campaign and a lot of it. So that stochastic terrorism right there, you know, has the impact it's intended to. And there's all these death threats. And you've been the recipient of those death threats. So what do you make of all of that? Not only do I get those, uh, but the thing, though they don't really bother me, to be honest with you. Most of them, uh, at least I should say all of them for the time being, uh, are just basically a bunch of, you know, texting tough guys that think that it's funny, you know, to say stupid shit, which they just all seem to be so good at. The thing that really bothers me is how many more times is one person going to have to go on television, have to speak to the press, have to, you know, post it on my social media platforms, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. I mean, between all of those, it's over a million people that I have on my social media platform. How many more times do I have to say the same thing? That when they call me, that the, the go-to line of these Republican morons, morons, is, oh, yeah, but he's a convicted liar. We can't trust him. 
I'm not asking anyone to listen to a single thing that I have to say. I'm not asking you to solely take my word for it. Wait till you see the evidence. Wait till you see the documentary evidence that's in the possession of the district attorney to which he relied upon, to which was presented to the grand jury. Wait till that information comes out and then you make a determination whether or not you agree or you believe that that documentary evidence should result in a conviction. And the answer is an emphatic yes. You know, nobody's asking for anybody just to solely base it upon me. I am not the only witness. Somehow or another, I have now been named as the, you know, the key witness. And that's fine. I don't care. They can call me whatever they want. But I am not the only one who's testified. I'm not the only one who's... Uh, testimony they're relying upon. It's not merely just testimony. Again, it's documentary evidence with recording, with um, you know, emails and text messages and so on. So when they keep saying that, it's merely just to appease a party of one. And why the fuck does anybody merely just or solely want to appease Donald J. Trump? This is a two-time impeached former president. It's a guy who was involved in a insurrection on our Capitol. It's a guy who is now facing not one, but potentially four indictments. This is a guy who lied to them literally more than 35,000 times, according to fact check. This is the guy who, you know, sits there and denigrates veterans and police um, officers and, and so on. And yet, some of these people who are saying the same stupid shit over and over are former veterans. I don't understand what it is that they could back somebody who, as I like to call him, Captain Bonespur, right, or, you know, Cadet Bonespur. This is the guy who refused to, you know, to serve, lied about Bonespur in his foot, so that he can avoid it, so that others could fight the fight for him. And interestingly enough, it's the same guy who is constantly denigrating Gold Star family members and did absolutely nothing, nothing for veterans while he held the office of the presidency. But yet they defend him and they fight for him. And I scratch my head in bewilderment and I wonder why. why? Let, me, let me try to answer that. Let me, let me try to answer and give you my theory on it. First off, I want to say this. The pro-democracy community, right, is far greater than this MAGA Republican community. You know, the MAGA Republicans make up about 25, maybe 30 percent of the country. The pro-democracy community, Democrats, independents, progressive people who used to be part of the Republican Party, who consider themselves conservative, but go, what, what the heck? is this, that pro-democracy community is far greater. That's number one. But, but number two, you know, I think one of the real issues is life is very complicated. People's lives are, are tough. There isn't always an easy solution to a lot of these complicated problems. And when you try to create situations or try to provide solutions to these situations uh, that aren't easy, you know, people are, some people get repelled um, to that notion. And what Donald Trump offers, what fascism offers, 
what propaganda in general offers historically is a very easy solution often. It's their fault. They're screwing you. They're the ones who are doing it. That's why life is tough. Blame them, whether it's, you know, anti-Semitism, whether it's racism, whether it's the other, just blame them. It's their fault. There is no policy, right? There is no solution. So when you layer on that with the existence of propaganda networks like Fox, OAN, and other very dishonest uh, disseminators of information, you get this conflagration of fascism historically that takes place over and over and over again. And we here in the United States, you know, we believed our institutions were stronger than that. We believed we had two major political parties that were committed to democracy. Sadly, we only have one party that is committed to democracy, and that's the Democratic Party. You have the MAGA Republican Party, though, that has given up, and not only given up, but in such a humiliating way. Here, I want to show you this clip, Cohen, and I want to get your reaction to the theory, but with this clip, this is Lindsey Graham after the criminal arraignment. Oh, he man. went on Fox, and he, he looks like Donald Trump now. He has the fake tan. He does the weird hair thing. Um, I, I want to show I want to show that clip in just a moment though. But you know the clip that I'm talking about, right, Cohen? Unfortunately, yes. So we we, we will pull that clip up. Let's in, let's, uh, let's go. Let's bring it up, Salty, when you got it. Yeah, Salty, bring up that clip as soon as you got it. And then I want to so, show you these. You know, one, one, show one of the things that I just wanted to jump in on this. It's um, while I acknowledge that first of all, I don't believe that it's. 28 or 30% of the voting uh, populace here in America, I believe it's 28 to 30% of the Republican Party. He does not control even the 70, you know, the bulk or the majority of the Republican Party. His base, though, is significant enough, as you said, between 28 to 30%, but that's only of the Republican Party, not of the entire electorate. Uh, that would be a very scary thing, to be very honest with you. Um, one of you the talk things about those texting tough guys, and, and I, I want to. Here's one of the things too about how I think enamored they are with the cult and delusional that they are. Because you know, at various times when Midas Touch will break a big story, I'll be the recipient for a period of time of those death threats, and I'll get all of the text messages. They find ways to get your phone and your home address, and they they find all of that. And what I've always found just so incredible about it is that when they send them on their emails, oftentimes they're using their, like, corporate email account. And they're, <laughs> and it's, it's really easy to trace, you know, to their LinkedIn, to their whatever. And they're so delusioned by the cult that they think the same rules of lack of accountability of Donald Trump applies to them, which, by the way, is why accountability is so critical and so vital. Here's that clip of Lindsey Graham we just found. Joe, let's pull it up right now. I'm sorry I'm so upset, but please help President Trump. If you can fi afford five or ten bucks, if you can't afford a dollar fine, just pray. Make sure you vote as early as you can in your state. Don't risk anything anymore. Vote as soon as you can. Pray for this country. Pray for this president. And if you got any money to give, give it. LindsayGraham.com. It doesn't go to me. It goes to helping this president and taking back the Senate. 
How embarrassing. What a crock of bullshit, right? Send it to lindsaygram.com, but don't worry, the money's not going to me. It's going to Donald's. Really? Seriously, Lindsay, do you think that we're all that stupid? That all of a sudden, that he's now going to be shipping off that money to Donald's? I mean, how would anybody know exactly how much we're going to do a forensic accounting? Let me tell you something. He's another fucking grifter, just like Donald. He's basically looking to grift off the fact that Donald just got indicted. Oh, thank God for Lindsey Graham. Do you remember some of the things that Lindsey Graham used to say about Diaper Donald in the past? That he's unhinged, he's a mental case, you know, that he's sick, that he's that he needs to be institutionalized. I mean, these are the, this is the shit that Lindsey Graham used to say in the past. Now all of a sudden, you know, fuck all that. Let's just go ahead and let's, you know, let, let's figure out how to grift and how to grab more. Oh, you know, this is terrible what they're doing and, you know, pray. And if you can't pray, just send your money. I mean, go fuck yourself, Lindsey. How about that? I mean, at the end of the day, you've got to be <laughs> shitting me. Right? How about this, that? Don't worry about billionaire Donald Trump. He could pay for his own legal fees. He could pay for the repairs on his on his own 757 plane. I mean, he could pay for, he should be able to pay for all of his own crap instead of taking money out of the pockets of families that don't have the money in order to feed their kids, diaper their kids, or pay their electrical bill. You know, he's asking for money for what? In order to find competent counsel, who probably won't present him anyway, to find counsel in order to represent a guy who has been indicted for, you know, 34 different counts. I mean, come on already. There comes a point where it's stupid. And that's why I keep saying the same thing, which is that I don't believe that Donald raised $7 million. And I don't believe that they'll ever show the documentation to prove it. Because at the end of the day, it's a lie. It's in order to show the American people, oh, my God, there's so many people that are so angry and so concerned about what's happening to dear old Donald that they're going ahead and they're sending in their money, that in one week we're raising a million dollars a day. I call bullshit on that. All right? I really, I truly do. Um, you know, it's just Donald's way of, again, trying to control the narrative, trying to show how, you know, popular he is and how important he is. Think about what happened here in New York. Think about the Marjorie Taylor Greene showing up, the George, you know, Santos, the fucking phony that he is showing up uh, to New York, or Donald, who was hoping that he was going to be like Caesar, you know, coming back, you know, through the gates uh, post, you know, a war and post victory. Instead, he came to a big goose egg. There were like, what, tens and tens of people. Marjorie Taylor Greene was here a whole two minutes. I wonder how she ended up paying for that trip. George Santos was here the same thing, like two minutes before people booed him the fuck out of, you know, downtown. And they went running for, you know, for their lives. And where did they run back to? Where did Marjorie Taylor Greene run back to? To Morilardo, where that night she ended up having dinner. It was her, Donald and Matt Gates. All right. Why? Because Trump and his deflated ego, that baby ego of his, needed some air. They needed to be pumped up. And who better to pump up the deflated ego of Diaper Donald than Marjorie Taylor Green? I mean, Marjorie Toilet Green, right? And Matt Gates. I mean, that's just what it is. And the rest of it is just nothing but a bunch of bullshit. 
Remember when Lindsey Graham was on the uh, floor uh, right around, I think, the insurrection and said, uh, count me out? I, I, I think we have this stuff in place. All I can say is uh, count me out. Enough is enough. DonaldJTrump.com. Go tonight. Give the president some money to fight this bullshit. This is going to destroy America. You compare and contrast. I mean, you know, it, that Go is the so wonderful. .com and give Donald Trump your money. All right, we can stop this bullshit. Right, let me tell you something. He's nothing but bullshit. He's a sham. It's disgraceful what's going on in our Congress right now. It's disgraceful uh, when you see things like, you know, Lindsey Graham coming on television and begging for money like he was a televangelist in the old days. I know they compared him at one point in time. I forget who the televangelist, maybe it was uh, 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 Baker, right? And they, they did it side by side with the exact same language that, uh, you know, that, that Baker used, uh, that Lindsey Graham is now using. Then you see this unfortunate uh, subcommittee on government weaponization, the fighting that's going on there, the fact that government really doesn't want the truth. Members of Congress like Jim Jordan, he does not want the truth. Now I understand that Jim Jordan is going to subpoena Mark Pomerantz to come in and testify. Not really sure what you expect out of that one, other than some more bashing <laughs> of, another, of another individual so that the Republicans can get their rocks off and that they can go ahead and figure out how to use it for some more campaign ads and so on. It's become a total fucking joke. It's become a freak show, to be honest with you, when you have the likes of a George Santos that will tell you, you know, that he's just raised off of this $250 billion for his campaign. I mean, there's nothing that comes out of this guy's mouth that is truthful. He's an embarrassment, not just to New Yorkers, but he's an embarrassment to Congress. He's an embarrassment to the country. And he's not the only one. There's a whole slew of them that are out there promoting lies and the misinformation, the disinformation, the malinformation. The they don't terrorists. want the truth. And that's why brigaders, I don't know, I say it every time and I have to say it again. We all need to continue to grow this platform. We need to grow this platform so that as a, as a voting block, we get rid of these pieces of shit once and for all. And look, again, I don't care if you're a Republican. I truly don't. I don't care if you will only vote Republicans so long as if you're going down the entire line of Republicans when you're voting and you see someone like George Santos vote for someone else because that's not who you want to represent you. You don't want Marjorie Taylor, Marjorie Toilet Green, or, you know, even this Ron DeSantis. We don't need people like this, people who want to stifle your liberties for what? For themselves and these beggars. You know, they, it's not like they're doing anything for anyone. The only thing they're doing is getting out there. They're defending, like I said, a twice impeached, now indicted former president and asking you to take your money and give it to them. Instead of keeping it for yourself, you're now going to support all right, the illegal actions of a billionaire. That makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> and Marjorie Taylor Greene, who you mentioned, like it's not, she's not a fringe figure, right? She is a leader, maybe one of the three most 
powerful Republicans. She is their immoral compass, if you will. Here, play this clip of Marjorie Taylor Greene as she basically got out of the car for a second, and then she's like, yeah, this is going to be too difficult. Nobody showed up for this protest. I, I don't know. He used the uh, words, he said immoral compass. I just used that term moral compass in a tweet of mine. Do Then she goes back into the car with her boyfriend from one of the right-wing propaganda networks, who I think she cheated on her husband with. Um, and then she says this crazy thing. Just play this clip. President Trump is joining some of the most incredible people in history being arrested today. Um, <laughs> Nelson Mandela was arrested, served time in prison. Jesus, Jesus was Jesus. arrested and murdered by a Jesus. Roman government. There have been many people throughout oh, history that have been arrested and persecuted Traitor. by radical, corrupt government. Acting and dumb like that. Today in New York it's City, um, and I just can't believe it's happening, but I'll always support him. He's done nothing wrong. So, so Cohen, the large media networks, they normalize that behavior, right? They act like, oh, on the one hand, you've got Democrats, you know, liberals and progressives. And, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, that's just a conservative. And there's just both sides and a lot of it. it both sides have their extreme. That's not really the way it is right now. The MAGA Republicans are led oh. by Marjorie Taylor Greene. Toilet. Right there, and that is there's nothing normal about that. Yeah. It's Marjorie Toilet, and I Marjorie love the fact Trader that she Green. invokes the name of Nelson Mandela in you know um, her defense of Donald Trump because huh. I've already stated this, so I have no problem with saying it again. I said it in my first book, Disloyal, that Donald Trump, when uh, when he was when Nelson Mandela passed, he turned he was you know very critical of Nelson Mandela. And even went so far as to say, you know, uh, show me a country run by a black that's not a shithole, right? And at the time, this is when Barack Obama was the president of the United States. So I turned around and I said to him, well, what about the United States? He looked at me with, you know, that same fucking face of disgust and, you know, an, an animus that he had when he was sitting at the yeah. table as the defendant. I mean, he legitimately said, name to me a country that is run by a black that is not a shithole. I mean, could you imagine she's invoking the name of Nelson Mandela, all right, a man who stood for something, who stood for his country and his people? This man doesn't stand for anything other than your money. That's all that he's looking for, money and power. End of story. And then to be so blasphemous and then to invoke Jesus' name into it also. I mean, this is this is a really unhinged, sick human being. I mean, Donald is not Jesus Christ. Let me be very, very clear about that. Donald Trump is the exact opposite. I mean, this, it, to me, I can't understand the fact that they still have people you know, good people that are supporting him. And maybe they're not good people. Maybe they're just fucked up. I don't know the answer. But whatever it is, the fact that she can invoke the names of Nelson Mandela and then Jesus and then people are sitting there and, you know, they're going to fundraise off of this. I don't care if they're fundraising and they only come down with 20 bucks or 50 bucks. The fact that anybody would send a single dollar to this Mandarin Mussolini to me is despicable and worse than that it's worse than despicable it's plain and it's just plain stupidity 
Yeah, and you mentioned the fundraising and the and the grift. Uh, have you seen the photographs where what Donald Trump is now selling are these T-shirts with a fake mug shot of himself, and he and th this is all over his social media platform right now. In between threatening the judge, threatening the Manhattan District Attorney, threatening Jack Smith, threatening uh, Letitia James, threatening Fonnie Willis. You will see posts like this throughout his social media platform, the official not guilty shirt. And then he is such a malignant, narcissistic, delusional maniac that even on the fake mugshot, he puts his height at six foot five. I mean, every single thing about Why doesn't him. he put his weight? Why doesn't he put his weight in there? Hey, Salty, if during during the course of the rest of the show, can we put the not guilty shirt next to the Mar a Lardo Correctional Facility shirt? Show you which one is a better shirt, which one is more accurate. All right, you know which one wins, Ben? <laughs> Ours wins. That's right. We the Mar a Lardo, the, the Mar -a -Lardo right. Facility shirt definitely is is much better. But then he had. Uday and Kuse, you know, give their media tour after the criminal arraignment. When you think about it, you know, the way the Trumps want to run uh, America is like an authoritarian regime. Like you go back to uh, the Republican convention in 2020, right? They had no platform. They eliminated the Republican platform and the Republican Party said, whatever Donald Trump says, we agree with. That's not hyperbole. That was actually what their platform was, and who were the speakers at the Republican National Convention? Well, who were their speakers? It was all of Trump's kids. Like, how humiliating and embarrassing can you be? And then his kids go out. I call them Uday and Kuse, like Saddam's kids. They all go out and give their media tour after uh, the criminal arraignment, and they go out. Like, they're horrible on TV. They further incriminate Donald Trump. Like, they look scared, you know, and they only go on their right-wing propaganda networks. But let me show you this clip. This was Eric Trump after the criminal arraignment. And the gaslighting is just next level. And he's like, what we really have to do here is we have to let the democratic process prevail. Because what the Democrats are doing is they're trying to lie cheat and steal and take away the democratic process like they did in 2020. I kid you not. This is what Eric Trump said. Here, play this clip of it. It makes no sense at all. Alvin Bragg should be ashamed of himself. Letitia James should be ashamed of himself and all of these people. We have to stop the games. We have to stop the nonsense. We have to let the democratic process prevail. But unfortunately, the Democrats don't care. They will lie, cheat, and steal to win. We saw it in 2020. We're seeing it right now. They will do anything that they can to take out a political rival of theirs. And um, we're going to fight it. And as we always do, Eric, we're, we're going to win. We won Russia. We won the impeachments. We won the Ukraine hoax. We won, you know, the Kavanaugh battle. We, we've won so many freaking battles at this point, and we're going to win this one. You better believe it. He wanted to be the world champion in the USC. He was going to be a big superstar. He earned that night, like being Lee Murray. Won it out. He just happens to be involved in the largest cash robbery in the world. The robbery, yeah. He's definitely not sane. <laughs> this story was an absolute belter. There's no two ways about it. Heists, huge amounts of money, armed gang, disguises, kidnapping. The sort of thing you see in Hollywood films. We'd never seen that for real in a robbery. 
how much do they need? A million pounds. Tens of millions. Twenty. In fact, it was fifty-two million nine hundred ninety thousand seven hundred and sixty pounds. Ninety-two point two million dollars. How much would they have got away with if they turn up with a bigger lorry? The policeman, shorty, hoodie, Mr. Average, high vis, driver, and stopwatch. This theft represented the largest amount ever stolen. It's almost unbelievable. It's the equivalent of Fort Knox that had been breached. Whoa, that's insane. Lee, he was told not to talk about this at all. clever plan, which up to the moment they drove away, had worked flawlessly. Catching lightning, only on Showtime. Streaming with Paramount Plus. Out of sight, out of mind. The banking crisis has managed to push the stalemate over the debt ceiling out of the headlines. But make no mistake, a resolution over the standoff is nowhere in sight. And now, concern is growing again that the United States might default on its debt for the first time in history. Before we begin, remember to like this video and subscribe for more economic updates. According to the prestigious global investment research firm MSCI, the probability of a default has risen five-fold since the beginning of the year. Commenting on his firm's analysis, MSCI Head of Portfolio Management Research Andy Sparks said last week that the probability of a default has gone up in a very significant way. Sparks and his colleagues at MSCI aren't the only ones who see the probability of a default growing substantially larger. Greg Valliere is the chief U.S. policy strategist at AGF Investments. In his view, there's just a 60% chance a deal will be reached. Valliere still thinks the odds favor a resolution, but just barely, as he puts it, I think will come right up to the precipice. The current debt ceiling remains stuck at an already stratospheric height of $31.4 trillion. Republicans now back in control of the House of Representatives say they won't vote for any increase to the debt ceiling unless Democrats agree to future spending cuts. The Democrats say that the debt ceiling should be raised without any conditions. In a speech last week, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen again warned that a default would cause an economic and financial catastrophe. Experts say that the implications of a default are so grave that even a near default could trigger negative consequences. According to Goldman Sachs chief economist Jan Hatzius, a close call with default could cause a recession, an upheaval in financial markets. And Moody's says that even a brief period of default would wipe out a million jobs. The exact date that the government will no longer 
be able to pay its bills and begin to default on its obligations is unknown. It's expected that there'll be greater clarity on that after taxes are collected this month. According to the Congressional Budget Office, the date could arrive as soon as July and likely no later than September. Last week, Barron's published an article saying, there's really nothing any of us can do about the looming default crisis other than pray that elected leaders in Washington see the light before it's too late. I disagree. There is more retirement savers can do. They can take meaningful steps to prepare their accounts for the severe impact of a possible debt default. One of those steps could be the acquisition of physical gold and silver, which are surging right now while turmoil continues to upset the banking system. This appears to be the ultimate game of chicken, as both sides are speeding closer to that date, nobody is flinching. Experts say that the chances of a default are increasing. Can you imagine if no one has the maturity to grab that wheel and steer this car in the right direction? Retirement savers need to take this situation very seriously. I am Devlin Steele, signing out.